You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you guys today. As you heard, we are kicking off a new series, and uh, this is a good, important series, but it it won't just be about parenting. This will be about all relationships in life. We're just going to apply it to parenting. So this works as you apply it to your spouses, your coworkers, your employees, uh, whatever it is, maybe even your parents. So it's just wisdom from God as best as I can, but we're going to talk specifically about parents. And I don't know about you, but I love social media for this extent, I think memes are one of the greatest gifts that God has given us today. And so what I do is when I'm playing around social media, I'll grab little videos or I'll grab little pictures that I've seen and I'll send them to family members. I kind of stockpile them. Here are some of my favorites from last week to kick us off today. This first one <clears throat> looks like this. Clean up all the toys you see on the floor, says the parent, my kids. <laughs> what, what toys? I don't know what toys you're talking about. All right, how about this one? This one is good too. There's two brownies left and I have two children. The right thing to do is very, quit reading ahead of me, whoever you are, stop that. The right thing to do is very clear, eat them both before the kids wake up. Anybody? Guilty? Or better yet, do it the night before so you don't have to think about it in the morning, right? Take decisions out of the morning. All right. I tried calling off work this morning, but my boss screamed and threw his sippy cup at me, and now we're watching Paw Patrol again. Some of you are like, that's not funny. That's the problem with kids today. We'll get there, all right? But here's my favorite. So wait, wait, go back. Wait, wait, hang on. Hide that. Hide that. Okay. Here is, this is my fault, my first piece of parental advice for you today. Just a little take-home freebie for you, right? Just make checks payable to Kingsway. Here we go. Ready? You need two $5 bills to pull this off. The kids stand with a $5 bill against the wall with their nose. The child who drops the money first loses, and the winner keeps the money. Hours of peace in your home. You can thank us later. I may or may not try that this afternoon, just saying. In all seriousness, we're so glad that you are here with us today. It is truly an honor to to share God's word with you. In April of this past year, a study came out from Belgium, and what they found was they studied 17,000 parents from 42 different countries around the world, and the United States had the second most stressed out parental group in the world. Number one was Belgium, where the study was done. The second most stressed out group. And the study was actually completed before the pandemic kicked off. So can you imagine what it's like today? The way people are running around stressed out, trying to figure everything out. It's just a lot to take on. I thought this was a phenomenal quote from the study. It was just getting to the heart of why parents feel stressed. It said, what, what parents feed their children, how they discipline them, where they put them to bed, how they play with them, all of these have become politically and morally charged questions. The distinction between what children need and what might enhance their development has completely disappeared. And anything less than optimal parenting is framed as perilous. You know what that feels like, right? So parents today walk around with this burden of, if I don't feed them the exact right food, they don't get the exact right amount of uh, sunlight, if they get too much screen time, if they don't get enough sleep, if they get too much sleep, if they don't do enough chores, if they play too many sports, if they're not in enough sports, if they don't get the best grades possible, and there's this weight of, "Eh, you are failing, 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 because, 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 and every parent feels overwhelmed all the time. Did you know the world did not always function like this? 
And again, as much as I joked about social media, I'm convinced social media plays a part in this. I'm convinced that social media actually makes it worse for us. Well, whatever their study was, I believe that God's word has wisdom for us for every facet of our life. So what I want to do today is not stand up here and say, I know everything there is to know about parenting. I don't. If you were to come and hang out in my home for even probably a week, you'd find plenty of ways that I don't always do what I need to do as a parent because I'm not perfect. And that is because God's grace is good enough. We're going to make it through anyway. However, what I want to do today is first teach you about who God is. Did you know though, the Bible tells us that God is a father. He's a father. In fact, let's take a look. John chapter one, verse 14 says this. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So we learn a little bit here, right? Jesus is the word. He's the son. God's the father. So my theory of life is this. If you want to learn how to be a good parent, study God. How did God treat the prophets? How did God treat the kings and the heroes of the faith? How did God treat the apostles? Watch the way Jesus interacts with his disciples. When you study these things, you start to see some patterns about the way that God carries himself over and over and over again. There are many, many proverbs and verses, and we're actually going to pull some of those out in this series to apply them to our lives. So that's why when you look at this, this isn't just about how you parent your kids. And so some of you think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm single or my kids are grown up or whatever. First of all, there's a lot of you grandparents still helping out with your grandkids, praise God. So this is still wisdom for you. Secondly, just because your kids are adults doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. Your kids Kids never stop needing you. They need you different. They don't need you less. They need you different. And then thirdly, maybe you've never had kids. You still get to learn about how God fathers us. And that is applicable to everybody. And the first nugget we're going to walk away with is that it's full of grace and truth. Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. He never compromised on either one anytime. So we learned before anything, God is a good father, full of grace and truth. You may get nothing else out of today, get that one. Now, what that means is, because God is a good father, that means that you could come to him in your time of need, in your time of stress, and find that he is present. At one point, Jesus' disciples go to him and say, teach us how to pray like you pray. And Jesus looks at them and he says this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. A few things here. It is critical to know that when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says what? Father. Now, the word here is actually father, but there is another word Jesus uses often when he addresses his father, and it's the word Abba. And Abba is kind of like the Greek equivalent of an intimate version of father, something like maybe dad or daddy. Now, we aren't told here to do that. We are told here to approach him as a father. There's an intimacy and a relationship. This would have been mind-boggling to the Israelites, who in their day, when they thought of father, they thought of Abraham. You know, he had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham. And because Abraham was told he'd be the father of many, that's who they thought of as their father. And Jesus is flipping the whole model in their head, going, no, 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 even Abraham had a father, and it's my father, and it's your father, and that's an important thing. Now, you need to respect him, hallowed. He's, he's holy, he's different, he's set apart, he's, he's worshipful. He's not just like an earthly dad. In fact, at one point, we're told, don't call anybody father, for there's only one father, and that's the God and father of all. Lots of us have dads, but there's only one father, and it's God the father. I'm not gonna get mad at anybody who calls their dad father. The point is, there is something special about God that's different than your dad. 
And I'm really glad for that for my kids because their dad isn't perfect, but their father in heaven, he is. But notice what Jesus teaches the disciples. He tells them, go to God when you have a need and expect him to meet it. Over and over and over again, the Bible is full of stories of people having needs and going to God and asking. Now here, it's literally our daily bread, but are you, are you trying to tell me that Jesus didn't mean that applies to anything else, like water? Of course it applies. It's supposed to be a principle. When you have a need, go to your father and ask him and he'll help you. And help us to forgive those who sinned against us as God also forgive us of our sins and what we've done against you. And then notice this last one, and lead us not into temptation. I could spend a whole sermon on this. In fact, I have in the past, but I just don't have time now. It's not the focus of today. But James tells us that God cannot tempt us. And the reason God can't tempt us is because he himself has never been tempted. But we do see throughout the scriptures that God leads us into trials. And there is a difference biblically between trials and temptations. And what we see is God will allow us to go through a hard thing in order to grow us. In order to find out, are we really for him or are we faking it? To reveal our real heart and character and motive. And God is good, so he'll lead us through it. In the parenting world, we would call this a challenge. A challenge. And a challenge could be anything difficult that your child has to go through. A challenge could be anything that your child has to push through. But here's the definition I'm going to use. A challenge is your opportunity really as a parent to lead your child through life circumstances with wisdom and grace. It's your opportunity to lead them through life circumstances with wisdom and grace. We're reading a book right now with our eldership and it's called Leadership Pain. And the entire axiom of the book builds on this because it says this, growth equals change, change equals loss, loss equals pain, therefore growth equals pain. Let me just walk you through that. So you're like, huh? I think that makes sense. I'm not sure. So if a person's going to grow, they're going to have to change. They can't keep doing things the way they're doing them right now. But in order to change, you're going to have to let go of something. Something that brings you comfort. The way you used to do things. Whatever it is. If you don't let go of something, you'll just keep doing it the way you're doing it and you'll never grow. So wouldn't you expect a good father to lead you to trials, to difficult circumstances in order to grow you if that's what you need? But it's going to require loss of something, which is going to make pain because every time you lose something, it hurts. Even if in the long run, it's better for you and perhaps even better for them. So therefore, growth equals pain. But the downside, what most of us do as parents, and I am guilty as charged, like I'm not sitting up here telling you, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, I've got this figured out. I'm on the top of a mountain. You just gotta climb the mountain and find me. I'm telling you, I'm wrestling with this stuff in real time. But I know this, there are two polar extremes that tend to happen as parents. On one polar extreme, there's, I don't, I don't like the phrase helicopter parent. And the reason I don't like the phrase helicopter parent is because I feel like it's judgmental and condemning and shame building. Okay, so let's just throw all that junk out the window. You don't need shame. You don't need a burden. You don't need any of that stuff. But what happens is when our kids go through hard times, we tend to remove the hard stuff because we don't want them to experience pain. We don't want them to have to go through anything. We want to put them in a nice little bubble. We want life to always be good. God, would you help them never get sick? 
Would you help their friends never stab them in the back? Would you help them to always be kind and everybody always be kind to them? May nobody ever say anything bad about them. May they never lose a job. May they never experience a sports injury. May they never get kicked off a team. May they never get a bad grade. We just want everything to be good, 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 good. But look at your life. Has everything always been good, 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 good? Did you not grow the most when things were the hardest? Because when things are the hardest, where do you have to go? Back to God. God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need your grace. Lord, forgive me. I know I messed that up. Help me repair that. Help me to fix that. God, help, help, help. Give me my daily bread. Help me forgive all those who sinned against me. Father, forgive me for the times that I messed up. Help, help, help. And when you do that, you grow. And so do they. So the goal is not to remove from them pressure and difficult and stress. The goal is to lead them through it. But on the other extreme, there's another form of parenting. And it's a complete opposite extreme. I'm sure there's plenty of things in between. But the complete opposite extreme is a parent who basically just says, suck it up, buttercup. Figure it out. Go do it. Come on. What's wrong with you? I hear stories at times about kids who maybe they get bullied at school. And the parent either doesn't know what to do themselves or they say something crazy like, well, when I was a kid, you know what we used to do? We used to punch that kid in the nose. And then the kid goes to school and he's like, I'm not a fighter. I'm not trained to be a fighter. I don't know anything about fighting, but I guess I got to punch this bigger kid in the nose. And that was it. That was all the leadership they got. That was all the wisdom they received. That was it. Doesn't matter if the kid has a knife. Doesn't matter if there's five of them and one of me. Doesn't matter if I feel ill-equipped or insecure or don't know how to do it. It doesn't matter. So what is the right answer? Well, I don't have all answers for all things you're gonna deal with, but what I have today are some principles that if you start working it out with the grace and the wisdom of God, you'll find your way through. And I just wanna say real quick, as a, a kind of a promotion thing, we just launched a new podcast called More To Be Said. You can find it in all of your podcast stores, like literally every single one that's out there, and it looks just like that. You find the graphic, you'll know it's us. And uh, we've, uh, we're just trying to take on some hard subjects. So we did two on suicide and we did two on mental health. And there's a lot of stuff in here for parents. Uh, we interviewed um, uh, Care to Change, April Bordeaux and John Money and just said, hey, help us kind of navigate through this. So if you're looking for some more help, just, just go check it out. It'll be a little promo for us. It's already out there. You can find it in your app store. All right, let me tell you real quick. There are two kinds of challenges. There's good challenges and bad challenges. A good challenge is this. A good challenge is any difficult thing your child can successfully go through to grow in life. That's a good challenge. I'll give an example. I'm making this up. I made this up last service. I didn't really think through an example. So let's say you look at your child and say, you're going to take the trash out. Now, taking the trash out could be a bad challenge if your child literally has no idea how to take the trash out. But we'll get to bad challenge in a minute. Let's just say your child has taken the trash out with you before. Let's just say you've already coached them through. They know exactly how to take the trash out. They may not want to take the trash out. They might have some problems like the trash is overflowing. I don't know that that happens in anybody else's house. And they don't know what to do with the stuff that's overflowing. They might have some stuff to navigate. They might need to come to you and ask, what do I do with blah, blah, blah. They might need, but they can succeed in the challenge. Now, on the one end, if they look at you and they go to take the trash out and some of the trash falls out on the floor and they just throw a fit, I don't know what to do, and they just quit to look at them and say, forget it, I got it. That's not good. That's not good. But if you look at them and say, what is wrong with you? How hard is it to figure out? Go get a trash bag. Come on, clean up this mess. That's not good either. The question to ask yourself, is that what God does when we aren't sure of what to do? 
Before you answer that, I'll get to that. A bad challenge, though, so a good challenge, anything they can succeed in. A bad challenge is anytime your child doesn't have the resources, the training, the knowledge to succeed. When you come across something like this, a situation where a hard moment has presented itself, I'm telling you right now, your job as a parent is to break that moment down into bite-sized chunks so they can succeed and to teach them, to coach them, to train them along the way until they can figure it out for themselves. Are you with me? If you were to take your child to the edge of the Grand Canyon and say, okay, kid, ready? You're going to jump to the other side of the Grand Canyon. Let's back up here about 10 steps. We're going to run as hard as we can. On three, go. Ready? One, two, three. Now, your kid's going to look at you and say, what is wrong with you? And I am too. Because it's impossible. No amount of training or knowledge or wisdom will ever get them over that gap. That's a bad challenge. But could they jump, say, over the sidewalk if it were covered in a mud puddle? If you were to coach them and encourage them, of course you could. And if they miss and they land in the water, is it the end of the world? Well, it depends on what kind of parent you are, but probably not. So a bad challenge is asking them to do something that they can't do because they don't have the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, the ability to get it done. And then your job as their leader, think about this as it applies to your, your marriage or your boss or your employees, is to break the challenge down into bite-sized chunks. Now, you may think I'm making all this up, but did you know it's actually in the Bible? Let me show you a story. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Moses in the Old Testament. So if you open your Bible, Exodus chapter three, if not, I'm gonna put it all up here on the screen if you know how to use that, no worries. But we're gonna look at Exodus three and four, not theologically, but practically. So we're not analyzing it from what is it doing in the bigger picture of the story. I just wanna look at how God treats Moses. Here's the setup so that we can go into the story. Moses was born in a very tumultuous time, a traumatic time in history. And what happened was uh, he was adopted into the family of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he was raised as a prince in Egypt. I mean, somebody ought to make a movie, like call it the prince in Egypt or of Egypt or I don't know, something like that. Okay, 10 of you have seen the movie, that's fine. Or I'm just not funny as usual, that's fine. Hey, I showed you these memes earlier, you wanna? Okay, anyway, so he's raised as a prince in Pharaoh's house. And eventually, he sees the way that Pharaoh and his men treat the Israelites, and he gets angry, and so he kills one of those guards. Well, when Pharaoh finds out about that, Pharaoh gets mad and says, I'm going to you know, find you, and you're going to pay. And so Moses runs for his life out into the desert. And we're many decades down the road, and God has decided to present a challenge to Moses. Moses, I want to do something awesome in you and awesome through you. And Moses, you're going to see. Moses is like, nah, I don't know about that. So we're gonna pick up a little bit in the middle of the story. Exodus chapter three, verse seven. Moses is already at the bush talking to God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's like an hour of practice during the week, just saying. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this is the moment where Moses should have said, God's choosing me. Yes. That's not how it goes down. Now, let's back up just a little bit real quick. So if you notice here, the Canaanites, Hittites, Hamorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Essentially, if I could just summarize it, they're the people who live in the promised land. 
They've been working the land. They've done all the hard work. God's going to take the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He's going to take them into this promised land. They're not even going to have to work for it. All the work has been done by these other people. And they're going to go in, and these are the baddest baddies in the world in that day. Apart from Egypt, he's going to take out Egypt anyway on his way over there. And any of them who come against, come against the Israelites, God's going to win that battle. But that is a terrifying list. I don't know who to compare it to today, what names it threw out, but that is like a scary list. And when God says that to Moses, that is not encouraging to him. But God does not remove the challenge. Here's the challenge. I have seen, I have heard, I have, I, I, I. And Moses is like, yeah, you go get them. Yes, I love this plan. So now go. Moses goes, excuse me. I got a question about that you go part, God. Take a look, ready? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, but who am I? But I should go to Pharaoh. I don't know how to take the trash out. Okay, there's definitely a big difference here between the two. But, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I don't know how to do that. Who who is Moses? Verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. That should have been the end of the pep talk. That's all you need. I got it. Let's go. But notice what God said to Moses. I will be with you. Just go to Pharaoh, punch him in the nose. He didn't say that, did he? Just do your math homework and shut up. He didn't say that, did he? Moses, I will be with you every step of the way. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, Moses, even though it's gonna get hard and it's gonna get scary, you are going to succeed. I am going to help you succeed and we are gonna do this together. And here's my proof. You're gonna come right back to this very place. Think about that. How is God fathering Moses? He's walking him through his fear and his anxiety into success. You are not alone. I am with you. Notice how God refuses to accept Moses' pushback as the final word on the subject. I know you're scared. I know you've been through some stuff. But I've got this. Follow me. Parents, how powerful and profound would it be to be able to look at your child and not just say, go figure it out on your own, but... I've got this, follow me. But also not to remove the challenge. Don't remove the burden. You've got to go through this, daughter. You've got to go through this, son. And I'm for you. And I believe in you. And we can do this. Exodus 3, 13. Moses said to God, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Let's just stop there for a second. Again, we are talking practically, not theologically. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. But this is where we learn what we call the name of God, Yahweh. And what it means is I am who I am or I am that I am. In other words, Egypt, like Rome when in Jesus' day, they had a pantheon of gods, many gods. In fact, Pharaoh himself believed he was God in the flesh. He was God on earth. Sound familiar? It's like Satan's been twisting things for years. Now, what we get out of this is God is saying to them, I am the uncreated one. Moses, I'm all-knowing. I'm all-powerful. I am who I am. You can't identify me the way you think of gods. I'm not a sun god. I made the sun. 
I'm not the water God, I made the water. I'm not the land God, I made the land. I'm not the frog God, I made the frogs. I'm not the blood God, I made the blood. Like all these things that are worshiped and celebrated in Egypt, I made all of them. So I am who I am. That's just tell them that. And you can imagine that didn't exactly sell Moses a whole lot, but let's just keep going. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, leave it on this one for a moment. Yeah, that's the next one, but go back for a second. I wanna wait for the slide. Yeah, there we go, thank you. Okay, so this here is critical because what Moses, or God just said to Moses is Moses, remember Abraham? Remember that guy, Father Abraham? I was his father. And remember his son, Isaac? I was his father. Remember his son, Jacob? I was his father. In other words, what God is saying to Moses is you can trust me. You know how you can trust me? Because I've been trustworthy for centuries. Now you haven't been alive for centuries, but have your actions been trustworthy up till now so that you can look at your child and say, I will lead you through this challenge. You're not going to be on your own. I'm not going to abandon you. We will get through this together. And they can actually trust you because you've been trustworthy. We are not going to have time today to spend our time on how to repair a wound. Maybe you've created, but if you're hearing that and you're feeling convicted, Maybe you haven't been trustworthy. Today's a good day to start. And perhaps it's a powerful, powerful conversation that says, I didn't always do what I needed to do, but I will from here going forward. Follow me as I follow Christ. Be a powerful conversation with your child. And I want you to see every insecurity from Moses is met with more nurturing from God. So every time Moses pushes back, says, I can't, no way, not me, uh-uh, I don't have what it takes. Every time, God nurtures him more. And I know this word here, it's not real popular among the manly men, right? Well, nurturing, that's for women and moms. Well, here's the thing. When God created the male and female in the garden, both men and women represent part of who God is. Man alone cannot represent God. Woman alone cannot represent God. It takes both. So God is both tough and tender. He is both strong and soft. He is both grace and truth. Are you with me? God is not either or. He is both and all the time. And if this word nurturing is a problem for you, maybe we just need to define it a little bit. Nurturing is the amount of physical touch or interaction that we give based off what each person needs to succeed. So again, there's lots of things that can go into this, but I just made my own list. There's a bigger list. You've got your own ways of doing it, but here's some things that I do. Maybe it's tussling hair. Wrestling on the floor, hugging, snuggling, holding hands, high fives, rubbing someone's back. These are all forms of nurturing. It could be little interactions with each other, words of encouragement. I love you. I'm so proud of you. You know what I love about you? I love when you do this. Good job. Way to go. Keep it up. Don't quit. All of these are forms of nurturing, and each kid needs a different amount. And the longer I pastor, the more I meet people who struggle with this, most likely because when they were little, nobody did it for them. It was pretty rare for dad to grab you and put you on his lap. And it was encouraging and not terrifying. And I get it. It's hard for you to do for others what nobody did for you. But growth equals change. Change equals loss, and loss equals pain. 
So if you wanna become a parent like God parents, it's gonna require you growing out of things that make you uncomfortable so that you can lead them in a better way. What happens when we give nurturing to another person, especially physical nurturing, is we anchor their body to ours and allow them to feel safe in the world. One of the best pieces of advice I ever gave is when you come home from work, Matt, and your wife is having a tired, stressed day, just go over and hug her. It'll probably take anywhere between 20 and 30 seconds, but just hold her until you feel the stress go out of her shoulders. And when her shoulders do this, you'll know she's there. And what happened in that moment is her life became anchored to my life for a minute. And in, in a very subtle way, we've communicated to each other. We got each other. We got this. Whatever you're dealing with, it's mine too, and I'm here. Let's go. The more difficult the challenge that you're leading someone through, the more they will need this kind of physical or oral feedback to encourage them. So remember this. Need meeting reduces neediness. Doesn't eliminate it, doesn't make it go away, but the more you can identify what the need is. Is there a fear, an anxiety, a stress? Is there some medical thing? Is there some learning disability? Meet, meet the need, that's what I meant to say. Meet the need, and that'll reduce the neediness. Won't eliminate it necessarily, but it'll reduce it. All right, Exodus 3, let's go back to our story, because we're wrapping up here today. Verse 16, God says to Moses, I want you to go, assemble the elders of Israel, and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. I am not suggesting your solution to whatever problem your kids are facing is to go and strike whatever problem they're facing in the face. However, what I want you to see is, did you hear what God did? This is so powerful. God broke the challenge down for him. It's important as a leader that you break down challenges into bite-sized chunks. Get what Moses just got from God. Moses, step number one, go to Israel, don't start there, Go to Israel, rally the elders. Tell the elders what I've told you. God's coming. He's going to take us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to do a great work among us. They'll believe you. So the first thing God did is break it down into a small challenge that he could succeed in and then celebrate that win. This is going to be wind in your sails, Moses. You're going to feel success coming behind you because they're going to be for you and with you, and you're going to feel less alone as you go through this. Good job. Now, as you start to move forward into this, the next thing you do is then you go to Pharaoh and you're gonna say this, and here's what you should expect. Most likely, not most likely, he is not going to listen. He is not gonna wanna do this, but don't worry. I've not left you. I've not given up on you. You're not gonna do this alone. We're gonna go through this together. We are going to succeed and I am gonna do this thing with you every step of the way. Do you hear how good of a father God is? Did you have any idea how good of a father God is? It's amazing to me as I read this stuff. It's like, it was all there all along. 
I'm going to do a one-two skip a few just for time's sake. But if you go into chapter four, what you'll see is a conversation. Moses doesn't buy it. He's still scared. He's still anxious. Well, duh. And God continues to break it down. Moses, I want you to do this. Take your staff, throw it on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. Now reach down and pick up that snake. He grabs the snake by the tail, turns back into a staff. Moses, take your hand, stick it in your cloak, pull it out. Now, you see it? It's got like a disease all over. Stick it back in your cloak, pull it out. Ooh, it's gone. God's giving him the way to succeed. I get it. There's a theological thing going on. I'm trying to help you see that God is breaking down the challenge. Moses, we are not removing this difficult thing. I'm asking you to do this. You are going to do this, but I am going to lead you through it. Now let's pick up chapter four, verse 10, and just see these last couple nuggets here for us. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I love that. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Do you get what Moses is doing? After the miracle of the staff and the snake, after the miracle of the hand coming in and out, after the miracle of all this, after God speaking in a burning bush, after all this, after all this, after all this, Moses is going, but I still can't do it. This is the moment, if you haven't already as a parent, you have fully given up. You have quit. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And verse 12, and parents, this is glorious. Now go. You could use that one later. You can quote me if you want. I know you're tired. I know you don't want to do this. I know you don't feel like it. I know you're not in the mood. Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Okay, so listen, this is huge for what's about to happen. Parents, don't answer out loud. How many of you at this point are already fed up? You're already yelling and screaming and cussing and threatening and whatever it is you do. Or you've already taken the response, forget it, I'll just do it myself. Notice how God stays unbelievably patient. Now, God is coming to, quote, unquote, the end of his rope, but he still doesn't act by yelling and screaming and cussing and threatening and hitting. hitting. He doesn't do any of that. But he is about to get fed up. But notice how patient he is. Are you as patient with your children as they're trying to work through their issues? It's amazing. When you study God as a father, what you see. Verse 13. But Moses said, <laughs> he still doesn't buy it. Pardon your servant, Lord. Maybe it would help if our kids actually approached us like that, right? <laughs> Please send someone else. Verse 14, God's ready. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And every parent in the room goes, finally, I can relate with God here. But even in God's anger, notice how he treats Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Maybe you didn't catch that. First of all, God's God, you're not. Make peace with that right now if you haven't yet. He knows things you don't know, which is why you gotta keep going back to him to find out what you need to go to them to lead them well, okay? But here, catch this. God says to Moses, 
I've got something important for you to do. You're gonna do it. No amount of excuses is gonna get you out of it. No amount of real issues. I know you don't speak well. It wasn't a problem for me. I don't see your lack of ability to be the best of the best of the best as a problem for me. That's not a problem for me. I know you can do this because I'm gonna lead you through it. Do you hear that? But then, because God knew that Moses was still not going to accept it, God said, fine, we'll use Aaron. And oh, by the way, he's already on his way here. So if you analyze that, God has already moved Aaron to come and visit Moses and to meet him so that God could look at Moses and say, I already knew you were gonna have a problem with it and you're still gonna do it, but here's how we're gonna solve it. Parents, what would it look like to not remove the burden, not to yell and scream, not to curse or hit or threaten? What would it look like to just leave the challenge in front of them and say, you're gonna do this and I'm with you? Now go back real quick, if you could, in slides. Go back to verse 14 for me, if you will. One of the most powerful things, uh, one of my friends uh, works in the counseling field and one of the most powerful things he told me, I had lots of parents tell me after last service, this was like worth their weight in gold today, you ready? One of the most powerful things anybody's ever taught me was this. I love you too much to argue with you. You can make checks payable to kingswaychurch.org. You're like, why is that so powerful? I don't know if you, I love sports. I don't know if you like sports. So you ever see an athlete, he's getting interviewed about something he doesn't want to talk about, and he says, that's all I have to say about the subject. And then another reporter has got to write an article. He's like, yeah, yeah, but we heard that. Da, 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 da. That's all I have to say about that. I don't have anything else I want to say on this. Another, another reporter, it's like listening to Bill Belichick, right? It's like, oh, this is so boring and dry. That's your mode right there. How many times has God repeated the same thing, 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 the same thing? It's not changing. It's not going away. I love you too much to argue with you. You're too important to me to argue with you. You're too valuable to me for us to sit here and have a fight about this. This is what we're doing. If after a while it's not going away, look, obviously we need to put some distance between us. This is still going to happen. But I love you too much to argue with you. It's, you're just too important to me. I don't want to fight with you. I love you too much. And you may be thinking, this is crazy talk. I know. But what do you see God doing? Now, let me make a transition from the practical to the theological as we wrap up our time here today. What's really powerful is if you read the book of Genesis, if you read the book of Exodus, there's always what you see going on, the linear story, then there's the bigger story going on as well. When you get to a guy like David, when you get to a guy like Moses, when you get to a guy like Abraham, and you read their story, you learn a lot. But what we don't always realize is God is doing something in that moment that points us to the bigger moment, and the bigger moment is Jesus himself. Let me make a practical application. God intended for Moses to be the prophet and the priest, but Moses couldn't handle the role of doing this communicating on his own. So God takes Aaron and brings him alongside and later makes Aaron the high priest. And the reason is there is a person who was to come along who was to be greater than Moses, who would be the prophet, he would be the priest, and he would be the king. He would carry all of these Old Testament offices. And even when God gave him the greatest challenge in the world, the challenge of going all the way to the cross, all the way to death, all the way to the resurrection, he would trust God all the way. He would not say no. When he was struggling, he would go into the garden, get on his knees and say, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But God would never remove the challenge and he would never say no. He would say yes, 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 yes. And his name is Jesus. And because he said yes, we now have a relationship with God, our Father in heaven. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter three, the writer says this, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the son, is in charge of God's entire house. 
and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. In other words, just to make this big, Moses is the key prophet of the Old Testament. He's a really, really, really big deal. In fact, it said, Moses brought us the truth of the law, but Jesus brought us grace, which is why it's important that Jesus comes in grace and truth. Moses was a big deal, but he was incapable of saving you. Because he was a sinful human being just like you. He needs a savior just like me. And Jesus is the name of the savior. So while Moses built a house for God, the whole entire house belongs to Christ himself. And you, God's people, are the house of God. The reason I read that is twofold. Number one, some of you as parents desperately need to know that your father in heaven wants to parent you. He wants to lead you. He loves you. So come to him regularly and find all that you need. But number two, some of you need Jesus as a savior. Moses gave us a whole bunch of rules to do and not do. And some of you are trying to save yourselves by what you do and don't do. That's why so many parents in America are stressed out today. My hope, my encouragement to you is come to Jesus not another rule, and find an ever-present father in your time of need. Now, if that's you today, you can always go to our Connect Hub right outside here, just touch base, say, look, I need Jesus. I don't even know what it means. Like, I wanna talk to somebody about Jesus. Or you can just text CONNECT, as always, to 317-565-4911. Just text the word CONNECT. 